I'd like to uh, continue a series of messages and actually do my concluding um, message on um, uh, the seven deadly sins. And if you have your bulletins, you might want to open them up because I put a uh, outline of uh, of my sermon series uh, in your bulletin for you to take home and and uh, go through it if you'd like to. And uh, that might be something you can do for um, your devotions during the week or some other time if you want to refer to it. Uh, certainly not the last word on how to deal with the things that uh, we face as Christians, but uh, just some ideas to help you review uh, some of the things that I suggested to you in our series of sermons. So before I begin this concluding message, please join with me in prayer and uh, we'll dive into God's Word together. Father, now... Use your word, and uh, may your word that uh, the Holy Spirit inspired um, powerfully come into our lives and move us that we might be able to live a life worthy of the gospel of God, the cross of Jesus Christ, the resurrection, the ascension, the powerful ministry that Jesus has for us now as our advocates, and high priest. May he be lifted up and glorified. In Jesus' name I pray. Well, undoubtedly, one of the greatest inventions of all time is the Internet. We have entertainment, email, online shopping, and a myriad of other conveniences instantly at our fingertips. Truly, the Internet is a modern marvel. And I think uh, as, as those of us who are of an older generation understand more of it and use it, um, young people who grew up with it know the power of the Internet, but it certainly is a great tool and it's a great blessing for us in this country. But along with the wonders of the Internet, there are dangers. Uh, last week, Lady Gaga was reported to have been found dead in her apartment. And so a website was posted on Facebook for more information. So tens of thousands of people clicked on that website only to learn that they had been scammed because an advertiser paid that website for every click and took the information of every clicker on that website and sold it for malware downloads on their computers. It's a hard thing. The Internet is filled with dangers, but it gets darker than that. Christian dating services, Christian chat rooms are used by sexual predators to lure people into abusive relationships. Experts tell us that one in five children receive sexual solicitation on these sites. 22% of these children are ages 10 to 13. And 25% of these children never tell their parents about their experience. The bottom line is the Internet is certainly a technological gift to the world, but it also represents harmful traps that we might fall into, 
and everyone who uses it must be alert. Or we might find ourselves chained to difficulties that could seriously interfere with our lives. Now I share this as an introductory thought because in many ways the Christian life might be compared to the internet. We have the blessings of a personal relationship with God. We have the joy of the gospel. We have this newfound life that Jesus Christ gives us. And we enjoy it and we celebrate it. But the Bible tells us very clearly, especially in verses like Ephesians 6.12, that there is a spiritual battle going on with spiritual forces in the heavenly realms and that our enemy, the devil, is seeking to uh, prowl around and roaring around seeking whom he might devour. And unless we're keenly aware of these dangers, we could very well be spiritually abused ourselves like a fish who bites on a worm and then realizes that there's a hook in it and finds himself ripped out of the water and ends up in the frying pan. Now, that's quite a pessimistic view of the Christian life, isn't it? <laughs> but, you know, the Christian life really is a fulfilling life. It's a life free from condemnation. It's a life of peace with God, and it can be a life of joy and freedom from the chains of sin, but until Jesus comes back and grabs a hold of our hand and pulls us into the next life where we will be free forever, we must be alert of the dangers in this life. That doesn't mean we can live a Christian life and never fall. We do fall, no matter how alert we are. Um... I've evidently made some poor choices on the Internet, and I've got some pop-ups flashing up on my computer screen that, frankly, are quite offensive. And so what I did is I went to a computer expert, and I, I confessed to my computer expert friend that I did something really foolish. I really didn't intend to, but I did it, and now I've got problems in my life. And so he said... All right, Scott, I'll come over this afternoon and I will clean your computer for you. And after I clean your computer, you can continue on and do your work on the Internet free from that malware. And you see, that's what the Christian life is like. Even though we can, can never totally be free from sin, sometimes when we do make a poor decision. Sometimes when we do fall into sin, there is, there is a, a great gift that God has given to us to help us so that we don't get chained up in that sin. So that that sin doesn't, doesn't hold us in bondage and ruin our lives. And that's what I'd like to discuss with you today from Titus's, Paul's letter to Titus, chapter 2. And I'd like to suggest to you that this, this gift that God has given us is a joyful lifestyle of repentance. So if you have your Bibles, open them with me to Titus chapter 2. If you're using the Bible in the front uh, next to you, it's on page 835. And let me begin reading Titus chapter 2, 
beginning with verse 11. And we'll discuss the joyful lifestyle of repentance, which is what God has given to us. And my suggestion is that this, this discipline will help us be free from the chains of sin. Paul writes, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These verses tell us that the Christian life is not a life of law. In fact, the more laws we create, the more we want to break them. What's the first thing you do when you see a wet paint sign? (laughs) You touch it. Is it really wet? (laughs) Never would have thought of that if there wasn't a sign that said wet paint. Reminding ourselves of our failures, though, will not do anything but create discouragement and shame and more failure. So law, that really doesn't help us when we deal with the dangers of sin in our lives. Instead, the Christian life is a life full of grace. It's a love gift from God. Now, it's very interesting that in 2 Timothy chapter 2, the Apostle Paul reminds us that this grace has been here from the very beginning. Let me just read a couple words for you here. Second uh, Timothy chapter 1, beginning with verse 9. Paul says, He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. It's always been here, Paul says but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul says in verse 11 of our text. The grace of God has now appeared, verse 11. And in verse 14 of Titus 2, he says that Jesus Christ gives us this grace, and this grace is the basis of our salvation. Look again at verse 14. Jesus Christ gave himself for us. We did nothing to earn or deserve our salvation. Jesus gave himself. He gave himself to redeem us, the scripture says. We were slaves, totally unable to save ourselves. And then he gave himself to redeem us and then to purify ourselves. We can do nothing to purify ourselves. We were immersed in the filthy rags of sin. But he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Totally from grace. What a gift to us. Paul tells us in Titus chapter 3, just a few pages of paragraphs early, he says this, At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. 
not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. See, the Bible tells us in verse 11 that by grace this salvation is offered to all. God offers this grace to everyone. But to those who believe, it is embraced. Notice the prepositions in this paragraph. Us, we, our. Paul is telling us that we now embrace a faith. We embrace a salvation. We embrace a life with God that is full of grace. And by grace, we live a life that is incredibly beautiful and wonderful. And the blessings on our lives because of our salvation is similar to the life of the Internet that offers us all of these wonderful services. But we must be careful. We must be alert of the dangers. And so that's why I would suggest this summary thought to think about today. And it's this. When we respond to God's grace and embrace our salvation that was purchased by Jesus, God's grace continues to work in our lives to nurture a joyful lifestyle of repentance that gives us the tools to live free from the chains of sin. Grace not only saves us, it empowers us to live a healthy Christian life. And this is accomplished by nurturing what I would suggest is a joyful lifestyle of repentance. So what I'm going to do today is discuss these three words. The joyful lifestyle of repentance. And I'd like to discuss them in reverse order. And in order to do that, I'd like to call up Bill. And he's going to help us serve as an illustration today of what it's like to live a lifestyle, a joyful lifestyle of repentance. Now, I hope verse 12, first of all, repentance, verse 12. Um, I hope you're not getting weary of this word. (laughs) I've talked about it a lot during this series. It may have some negative connotations. Repent sounds judgmental, doesn't it? It just sounds legalistic. It drums up images of a fiery preacher pointing his finger with an angry scowl on his face. Repent, repent, right? You just think about that. You know what I would suggest? I would suggest actually repentance is a very reasoned and a very rational action. And it's found for us in verse 12. First thing repentance is, is say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. We've been discussing the seven deadly sins. In your bulletin, we've got a little review of the seven deadly sins. And if we allow the seven deadly sins into our lives unrestrained, they'll be like a chain. We might start with pride. And if pride gets into our lives and we don't do anything to check it, it grips us and it chokes us. And we've got Tim Keller's four suggestions of pride written in your bulletin. The third one is the one that I struggle with. Um, The accomplishments. 
wanting to be successful. I find myself sometimes praying, Lord, make me successful. And then I want to wonder, why do I want God to make me successful? Do I want to be successful for Him or do I want to be successful so that I can appear to be successful? And so God has been working with me on this. And I need to be aware of that because if I allow that to to just go unchecked in my life, it'll be a chain around me and it'll prevent me from successful ministry because God is not going to build me up so that I get more credit than he does. That would never happen. You see how easy and subtle pride can be in our lives? And then we talked about anger. Paul tells us in Ephesians that anger really comes, first of all, from a root of bitterness in our lives. And a root of bitterness can come into our lives, and if we allow that root of bitterness to come into our lives, something can just set us off, and that bitterness can all of a sudden explode into some type of an angry outburst. And unless we're aware of that bitterness and can creep into our lives, anger can come in and And we can find ourselves just to be an angry, mean person. And it's so subtle unless we're thinking about it and we're aware of it. Of course, and then, after pride and anger, comes envy. And envy is something that is real easy for us in our culture to think about. Because we look at a person in this culture and we see what they have and we think, well, how come I can't have that? They have it. I want it. And then there's a darker side to envy and it says, well, if I can't have it, they shouldn't be able to have it either. And pretty soon we're just gripped with this envy in our lives. And it becomes a chain that immobilizes us in our Christian lives. Of course, and then envy is easy for envy to go into greed. And greed is this insatiable desire for more and more and more No matter how much you have, never enough. And pretty soon, we are gripped with greed in our lives and we want materialism. And Jesus talked about a parable where the farmer and the farmer was challenged with greed. And Jesus said, life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Rather, work towards being rich towards God. But if we forget that, it's easy for us to just say, I want more, I want more, I've got to have more. And we become greedy people. Of course, and then after greed, well, apart from um, physical limitations, maybe some mental illness or some other physical area, we can fall into just becoming a lazy person, can't we? You know, it's hard to get started, it's hard to finish, and we just have all kinds of excuses and we want people to do everything for us, and, and so we just fall into a lifestyle of, of being lazy. And that chain grips us, and pretty soon we find ourselves immobilized by, by these sins unless we're aware of them. And then, of course, the very personal one that we discussed was the misuse of food. The Bible calls that gluttony. When we misuse food, we sometimes turn to food instead of God, and Food becomes our our comfort instead of God. And 
we find ourselves misusing food and eating too much or too rich. And pretty soon we're, we're chained to food. And, and all these things are exacerbated by what we call lust. And lust is that evil desire that comes into our lives. And pretty soon we find ourselves and totally chained. How did this happen? Well, it happens because we're not aware of the things in life. And Paul says, I want you to learn what repentance means. Repentance means saying no to these things. And then Paul says in the same verse, say yes to self-control, upright, and godly lives. We could be obsessed with sin. And I don't think God wants us to be obsessed with sin. He wants us to learn a healthy way to live. And so instead of pride, there's humility. Instead of anger, there's love and servant leadership. Instead of envy, there's a desire for God and wanting what he's given us. And instead of the riches that come from greed, we become rich towards God. And instead of laziness, we joyfully serve God for his honor and for his glory. And instead of lust, we learn to interrupt our evil desires before they run rampant in our lives. And then we learn when we encounter sin to run run from it, run to God, and run with one another. See, that's what, that's what repentance is. When we're walking in life and we find ourselves faced with sin, we stop. And then we turn. And we present ourselves to God. And then we need to go a healthy way of living. And unless we do that in life, we'll find ourselves chained to sin and we'll be immobilized. And Paul tells us in Titus, learn to say no and learn to say yes. Learn to repent. But there's another word that I want to really focus on, and that comes from chapter 12. And that is this, 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 this repentance is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. We might think of repentance as an event some emotional crisis of faith. And then we emotionally repent and it's an event. Look at the word training in this verse. What does grace do? The grace that we receive in our salvation, Paul says, trains us. That word training is a compound word that speaks of raising children. Now, raising children is not an event. <laughs> it's a long process. We start out raising children. We're cops. Right? Don't do that. Don't do this. Go over here. Do that. Stop this. Ah, oh, you know, that's the wrong thing to do. We're cops to our children. But then as they grow up, we stop being cops. And we begin to become the coach. And the coach says, all right, now let me show you how this really works. Let me, let me give you some pointers. And then we, we discipline like a coach does. And we give consequences like a coach does. And we come alongside of our kids and we cheer for them when they do something really great. And we coach them when, and we love them and we have this coaching relationship with them. 
And then when they become adults, we become the consultant. And, uh, you know, would you, like, would you like me to share with you how to handle this with your kids? No, I got it, Mom. I got it. Okay, all right. Um, when you get stuck, give me a call. I'm always here for you. Telephone rings. Uh, Dad, I'm stuck. We're their consultant. We never stop being our children's parents, do we? See, that's the word training. Grace never stops working in our lives. It's a lifelong process. And what does it train us to do? The text says it trains us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to say yes to self-control, godliness, self-control, and godly lives. It teaches us the lifelong discipline of repentance. Instead of presenting an event, this training develops into a new way to live, a new lifestyle. Ezekiel 36 summarizes that new lifestyle, where the prophet says, I will give you a new heart, put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart a stone, your heart of stone, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees. And be careful to keep my laws. It's a lifestyle. It's a brand new way to live. Saying no to sin and saying yes to God is something that grace trains us to do and never stops training. And it's by grace that we learn a lifestyle of repentance. But I want to suggest to you that this text tells us that It's a lifestyle of repentance is joyful. It's a joyful lifestyle of repentance. Repentance is not a negative or painful experience. It's not a morbid or depressing experience where we walk around in black with our heads bowed in a funeral dirge on our music devices. That's not what repentance is at all. Repentance is is something that can be joyful. The text tells us in verse 13 that we wait for a blessed hope. That word blessed means happy. (laughs) It means joyful. It means that that we're living a life anticipating something that that is going to make us light on our feet. That's going to make us happy. Lifestyle is something that we look forward to. My wife came up and visited me this week. I can't tell you how I was looking forward to her coming. I mean, we talked on the phone and only two more days and I'll be there. Only one more day and I'll be there. Hey, I just left. I'll be there in three hours. We, it was a looking forward to it. We were happy to see each other. See, that's, that's what we do with Jesus. When we look for his glorious appearing, verse 13. He came the first time to save us. He will come the second time to bring justice. Now, let me ask you a question. If you're a person who is chained to sin, will you be looking forward to the return of Jesus? I mean, you're still his child. But boy, I'll tell you, you don't want to see the look on Jesus' face if you're chained Jesus wants to come into your life now and give you freedom 
from that sin. And he wants to make his appearing something that you look forward to. How can we look forward to the appearing of Jesus? We live in a hard world, don't we? We live in a world that is full of sinful traps. Well, here's how the Apostle Paul disciplined himself in the lifestyle of repentance. Listen to what he said in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. Here's what he says. I fought the good fight. What fight? Well, I think that he fought the fight of repentance. He learned to say no, and he learned to say yes. And I finished the race. He could say at the end of his life, I don't have chains on me. I'm free from the chains of sin. I've kept the faith. And now I look forward to, what does he look for? The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, not only to me, but also those who have longed for his appearing. I would suggest to you that the good fight is the discipline of joyful repentance that keeps us free from the chains of sin so that this lifestyle can be something that we anticipate. That's what it says. We wait for that hope in this verse. Then he says in verse 14, while we wait, we are what? Eager to do good. We're, we're full of anticipation and we can't wait to do good things. We can't wait to serve God. We love this Christian life. Do you love your Christian life today? Or are you chained to something that is holding you back and keeping you from living for the Lord? Brothers and sisters, may I suggest to you that this discipline of a joyful lifestyle of repentance can make your life Christian living, Christian delight. It can give us great joy to live this lifestyle. Now, I am in no way suggesting that we can wink at sin. And we can say, well, you know, I'm just going to not worry about sin because grace has got me covered, right? Paul says, may it never be. How can we who died to sin still live in it? How can we do that? And then we look at our lifestyle and we say, well, I'm chained to sin. How can we say that that is a life of grace? It's not. But the life of grace can be ours if we learn to say no and we learn to say yes. And if we recognize that the Holy Spirit is working within us His grace and that grace is training us. And that training continues on until the day we go to heaven and we continually learn Say no and say yes. That can be a life full of joy. Brothers and sisters, where does it begin? Who sets us free from the chains of sin? Well, it's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ comes into our lives, he begins to address those areas. And he begins to set us Shall we pray together? Father in heaven, thank you for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that he who knew no sin became sin for us, paid the penalty that we could not pay, 
that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And he sets us free from the chains of sin. So you have given us, you've given us responsibility. You've, you've asked us to live a devoted life, a life of devotion. And it can be a joyful life as we practice a lifestyle of repentance. So, Lord, may we celebrate your grace. May we celebrate the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, who sets us free from the chains.